Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Will there be oceans in eternity? That is the question that we will try to answer on this episode of Word Matters. I am Brandon Smith, spokesperson for the CSB, alongside uh, my co-host, Trevin Wax, the Bible and reference publisher at BNH. And uh, today we're talking about the question, will there be oceans in eternity? And uh, I know Trevin likes a good old-fashioned walk by the beach, good old-fashioned uh, bubble bath by the beach maybe. So uh, this is going to be a question that's probably been on his mind for a long time. Yeah, um, I am a I, I am a beach bum. Uh, that is vacation to me. You know, some people are mountain people. Some people are vacation people. I could be a mountain person, except that there's no beach there. You know, so uh, right. no, I I'm a, I'm a big fan of the beach. So anyway, the this question comes up at the very end of the book of Revelation. Um, something that John uh, says in Revelation 21. I'm going to read five verses from the CSB to give a little context there so you can see where it comes up. It says, um, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and they and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Man, CSB really nails that, that passage. <laughs> yeah, that's really, a passage. Really, it, it does a good job. He, CSB is not a person. It's not a he. Anyway, God nails it in the CSB. Um so Revelation uh, 21, 22, uh, that is, I mean, those are my favorite passages of Scripture. Doing my Ph.D. in Revelation right now, um, you know, you read so much of Revelation. People who have no background in it, people who have a lot of background, uh, sometimes it can be scary. Sometimes there is the thought of Armageddon, and we don't want Revelation's events to happen. Uh, but Revelation 21 and 22 actually shows us that there is hope in the future, that everything that went wrong in Eden is going to be fixed and that, that we can actually look forward to the time that Christ returns and uh, eternity. So, uh, But in this, in this passage, there's this weird mention about there being no more sea or no more ocean. And so you know, the question that might come up in your mind is, well, what's so bad about the ocean, right? I mean, if you stand on a beach like you're prone to do, Trevin, and you look out, you see the glory of God in creation. I mean, that's one of the most beautiful sights in the world, sure. just standing on a, on a shoreline. So, so why would God get rid, of, get rid of oceans? Why would he get rid of the sea? It kind of seems like a weird thing to be entered in here uh, in this passage. So let's look at a few views and uh, see if we can at least try to make some sense of this. Okay, so the first view is that um, this phrase is to be taken literally. There will be no oceans in the new heavens and the new earth. And you find this uh, comes this view comes in a couple of different forms. Uh, this is a literal reading of the passage. Some have said that it means there will be no water in the new heavens and new earth at all, except for the river of life mentioned in Revelation 22. Uh, R.C. Sproul, uh, for example, takes uh, that view. Um, others, you got like a pastor like John MacArthur, actually take this a step further, and they say that the river in Revelation 22 is a metaphor. There will be no H2O anywhere in eternity. <laughs> um, water, it, here, here's the reason why. Water is necessary for survival now, but we wouldn't need water in the new heavens and the new earth, only the metaphorical water of life, the living water 
that is provided by God. So that is the the literal interpretation of that um, of that passage. No oceans in eternity. No need for water. Therefore, similar to there not being need for the sun in eternity, there wouldn't mm-hmm. be need for oceans as well. Yeah, and then you've got the second view, which is obviously going to be the opposite, where you would not take this literally. So uh, defenders of this this view would say, you know, throughout the Bible and in the context of the ancient Near East, uh, the sea is kind of looked at as a symbol of chaos, the symbol of destruction, Uh, even in some ways um, is looked at as an embodiment of evil. Uh, Even in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, obviously, one of the first things you see in the Bible is that there is chaos, quote-unquote, over the waters, or, or God is hovering over the waters, and there's chaos, and he brings order. So there's this idea that the sea or this ocean is some sort of chaos. Um, there's also the idea um, of this sea god named Yom who basically controls uh, the water. So sailors would say basically that um, if you go out into the sea, there's this uncontrollable god named Yom, which is the Hebrew word for sea, uh, which is basically going to uh, push you overboard and there's nothing you can do about it, right? So if you think about can you stop the water in your bathtub from moving, Imagine being out in the middle of the ocean, right? It's, a, it's this chaos. It's this thing you can't control. So, so this view would point out then that, that the point of Revelation being a highly symbolic book, as it is, right, uh, that there are times um, where uh, even though the sea is seen as, as chaotic throughout the Bible, uh, you would see actually here in Revelation the same thing, that, that there's this idea that God is bringing uh, chaos to order, that he's getting rid of chaos, that he's destroying um, this thing that causes destruction. Uh, and so Greg Beale um, actually is one of the best commentators on Revelation. Um, he says that the idea of death and tears being no more in Revelation 21, 4, and then other places in Isaiah uh, actually is, is directly tied to this metaphor. There's no sea, there's no death, there's no tears, there's no sea, therefore there's no destruction. And so it's possible that, that maybe there will be oceans in eternity in this view, uh, but that Revelation 21 actually isn't trying to tell us that. It's trying to show us something symbolic. Trevin, where do you uh, land on this on this uh, passage? Yeah, you really only have those two options, right? I mean, do we yeah. take this statement literally in Revelation, or do we take it uh, metaphorically? Mm-hmm. And um, Revelation is one of those books. I think there's a lot of other questions that are clustered around this. Yeah. So I'm I want to set it, but before I give a definitive answer, I want to set this within the context of how I would view several other statements made in Revelation. Uh, one of the questions: Will there be a sun in the new earth? Because Revelation 21, 23 says there's no need for sun or moon because the glory of God will give it light. There will be no more night, it says. You see that also in Isaiah 60, 19 through 21. Uh, But if you read that carefully, it says there won't be the need for light from the sun, not that there won't be any sun, moon, or stars. The the point is it's making a—it's a metaphorical point about the glory of God overcoming and outshining everything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Similar in Revelation 22, 5, it says there will be no more night. Does that mean there will never, ever be a sunset again in the new earth? Do we but, sleep on in eternity? Well, I mean, the question comes back to, well, okay, th- remember we think of new heavens, new earth, God restoring everything that has fallen. Well, sunsets and nighttime was not part of God's fallen creation. Uh, it was evening and it was morning the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, it, and God saw that it was good, right? So um, I, I think night is referring in these uh, places to... Uh, what takes place under the cover of darkness. You know, we use the metaphor of nighttime or darkness. Um, all the crime and prostitution and drunkenness. You think of night, you think of um, um, Ellie Weisel's book, you know, Night, about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. y- using that that metaphor of night over everything else. So night in that sense, being associated with evil, yes. But that doesn't mean that physical darkness is evil, that shadows are evil, that there's no, uh, there's nothing with the sunset. So putting that into context then comes to the same question with the oceans. 
I, I take the metaphorical view. I think the meaning is that the oceans representing the frightful, fearsome, you think of a watery grave, swallows up people in storms, keeps countries apart, keeps people in fear, mm-hmm. evil represented by the fearsomeness of the ocean or the, the um, beast of the ocean that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, that is what won't be on the new earth. God created, though, the land and the seas, and he declared them good back in Genesis 1. I don't see him taking back physical oceans and now saying, nope, that's not going to be there. Um, what he'll take back is the evil associated with the oceans. Um, otherwise, it would also, I mean, think about all the animals that live in the ocean. It would basically, right. um, n- none of these wonderful creatures that God created and God saw that was good and on day five of creation, mm-hmm. he would be saying that they will be obliterated. So uh, there's some other reasons too. I mean, you have a river in New Jerusalem. Rivers tend to flow to oceans. You've got animals in the oceans. We mentioned mm-hmm. um, Isaiah 60 talks about uh, Jerusalem being renewed. The riches of the sea will become yours and the wealth of the nations will come to you. The riches of the sea, Isaiah says, and the coastlands and islands are mentioned in Isaiah 60. Right. So somehow... Uh, we need to to take Revelation um, the way that John intended us to see this vision. And mm-hmm. when he says no more night or when he says no more sea, we need to understand what sea and night represent. And we need to say that is what God that mm-hmm. that's what the vision is getting at. Not literally that they're you know the ocean is bad and will be done away with, or sunsets are bad and will be done away with, right. and stuff like that. So that's my view. Your your take? Um, yeah. So. Uh, somebody who studies Revelation, the, my first inclination is always going to be, uh, I don't know, because Revelation is so filled with symbols and allusions and analogies and illustrations. Um, that that is not things. a bad inclination when you're talking about Revelation. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean it's, it's one of those things where if you take a number literally, you better have a really good reason for taking that number literally. You know, so, um, so, so that's my first inclination is to get uncomfortable even answering the question. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to lean the way that you do. I think you made a good case here, actually, a really good case. And uh, picking up on Isaiah, especially, um, John is so uh, thick with Old Testament allusions, so rich with that. And he talks about the Old Testament so much. Um, and so everything that he's doing is going to have an Old Testament reference. Uh, if you think about that, primarily in the Old Testament, that's what the oceans are. That's what the sea is, is chaos, destruction, uh, lack of peace, right? And so I think that John is thinking back to those things when he's using this this metaphor and is basically saying, yeah, there's no more chaos. There's no more destruction. God is going to renew all things. Um, he's going to bring all things into order, just like he did in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, and so what we see in Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, uh, that's when things go into chaos, and that's what he's undoing. Um, also, I think that that we have to be careful to say, okay, God's going to get rid of oceans because they're destructive, like literally because they're destructive, as though God can't bring chaos to order, uh, so that these oceans are these things that God just can't do anything with. Uh, it really seems like the only thing that God, in the end, has nothing to do with is going to be Satan and those who, who reject him. Uh, you don't see creation getting any sort of extra um, punishment or judgment throughout Revelation. Um, at least not that I'm aware of. If you, if you can think of something, let me know. But um, you really don't see the Revelation making that point at all. You see Revelation talking a lot about uh, restoring creation all the way all the way back to uh, the way that it was. So yeah, so, and yeah, I, I think this goes. Way, but. I don't. I do think this goes back to the, your overall view of what the final state is going to be like. Yeah. I I feel like there is in in a lot of even evangelical circles there tends to sometimes be a Platonic view of the new creation, almost mm-hmm. like matter. Is bad. I mean, the the idea that there would be no H two O in eternity because there's no need for water for survival, 
Um, and so instead, we just are left with metaphorical waters of life. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I worry that there's a bit of a, um, almost like of a denigration of, well, if it's superfluous to survival, it wouldn't be there. Yeah. Um, Which actually it's in, I mean, there's, there's water all, all throughout the, uh, the, the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And it's not yeah. God that, you know, it's not metaphorical. There's actual rivers. Yeah. And I, but a lot of people, anyway. a, a lot of people think of, of, you know, what happens before eternity is the destruction of everything yeah. in the world mm-hmm. rather than the restoration of the, it, or so an if escape you, from this world altogether. Yeah. If you have a physical understanding of the new creation, the new heavens, new earth, rather than sort of a spiritual, metaphorical, mm-hmm. hazy, you know, just what will the embodiedness of this be like? We don't know. It's all sort of abstract. When you actually say, no, look, the earth that God created is good and God is going to restore it. Yeah. I, I think that leads you more in the direction to, to that I'm taking and, and that you're taking on this on this being a, a metaphorical mm-hmm. statement about no evil and chaos and destruction being in the new heavens and earth rather than saying the sea is bad and therefore it won't be <laughs> right. there. Same with nighttime or shadows and things like the that. Sun, so. Yeah. Yeah, so I I just um, I think part of this comes back to your your overall the physicality of how you see the new yeah. heavens and new earth, and it also comes back to the uh, tendency that we had to sometimes be so literal with the Bible that we miss some of the big points that are being made. Yeah, I mean obviously there's there's tons of things to take literally in the Bible for sure, and, and it's a matter of hermeneutics. But but I think about this in the same way I think about Genesis one. We get so caught up in conversations about how many days, was it 24-hour days? Was it a million years for each day? You know, all the I, all the stuff about evolution, all of those questions. When the point of Genesis 1 is not really those questions, it's the fact that God is sovereign, that he created all things that were made in his image. In the same way, we see God is sovereign, God is all we need for sustenance in life, that we are going to commune with him forever. That's really the big point of the last two chapters of Revelation, not these minute details that we get caught up in. Yeah, well, I would say Revelation 21, we are taking literally, because I believe if if I take the metaphorical view, that is literal in the sense that that is what um, John intended us to understand. Uh-huh. Like John's intention there. was mm-hmm. for us to understand this as right. a statement about chaos, destruction, yeah. danger no longer being in the new heavens, new earth. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I almost, I want to say, yeah, I want to take it literally, meaning I want to take it according to the way the author intends me to take it. Yeah. Right. I don't want to take it. I think of literal as. I would say taking it li- uh, literally the way you're talking is literalistically, mm-hmm. where I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting it almost as if the genre doesn't matter. That it's a wooden sort of statement, yeah, but yeah. anyway, there there are good good people disagree with us on this, and I mean, I I know I'm taking a position here. We're we're, we're saying that um, um, the we're basically saying that when John says the sea will be no more, we're saying John doesn't mean the physical ocean will be no more. Yeah, and that's 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 tough to do. But yeah. so, how would you preach or teach this if yeah. you were? So I'm always yeah I'm always going to lean toward um, the idea of primarily. The hope for the future, the assurance that there will be salvation for us in the end, uh, that we will spend eternity with God, that what happened in Genesis 3 is not the end. Uh, it's only part of the story. Um, I'm going to always lean toward that first because I do think, like you said, there is this uh, sort of non-physical kind of escape hatch view of eschatology where we're going to leave this world or this world's going to be destroyed. And uh, the reality is actually that God intended us for us to be here in the first place. That's why he put us here in right. Genesis. And he wants to keep us here. And we see that over and over again throughout Scripture. And so I want to, I want to highlight that. 
And then I want to um, also just step into the application side, which is that what you do right now matters because what you're doing right now, it, it, your life is like a dress rehearsal for eternity. So you're living right now as though this Revelation 21 and 22 were already true. So no death, no tears, no crying. The, the idea of trying to create peace, the idea of trying to uh, love people, to break down barriers, um, to show God's love to people in a really full and redemptive way. Uh, we can do that right now. We don't have to wait for later to get through that. We don't have to wait for later to have joy and suffering, uh, knowing what's going to happen in the end. So, yeah, my, my main focus on this would be uh, wouldn't be the if I were preaching this whole passage, it wouldn't be the question about the seed necessarily. I might mention that briefly, but I, yeah. um, I, my main point would be, you were made for Earth, not for heaven. Yep. God put Adam on Earth. God created humans for Earth, or to be more specific, we were made for heaven on Earth, and that's what you see in this passage: yeah. heaven coming down. Uh, or the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from mm-hmm. God. So the the merger of heaven and earth, uh, it, it's what we sing about when we sing like a, a hymn like "This is my Father's world." Yeah, you know, um, Jesus who died will be satisfied. Earth and heaven will be one. Yeah, that's this image here, and mm-hmm. the promise in verse three that God's dwelling is with humanity. We're not going to go away to live with God. God is yeah. going to come here to live with us. Yeah, which is and, what He did originally. Yeah, it, it, I mean that's the that's the beauty of the restoration we see in this passage. That I would I I want people to thirst for that and mm-hmm. to to um, uh, long for that day. And so I'm going to focus most of my attention there. And I'm, I may give a side note to the question about yeah. the seas, but really focus the attention on. Uh, heaven coming down on earth, the kingdom of God coming on earth as mm-hmm. it is in heaven, the way we, we pray. So. Yeah, and I don't know how many times uh, I teach I teach uh, some theology and, and uh, kind of overview of Scripture stuff to college students at our church, uh, ones who just go to the college in, in town uh, who want to know more about the Bible, not seminary students or anything like that. And when I bring up the fact that, hey, you're not going to spend forever out there in heaven, but it's going to be right here. God is going to come and, and pull heaven and earth together. It is always the most surprising, shocking thing that they hear. And so I don't think we can emphasize enough uh, that idea and then also why it's important, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the embodied nature of heaven is so important. Yeah. Otherwise, um, I mean, otherwise we become, you know, some pseudo-Gnostics, basically, yeah. and what we what we do with our bodies doesn't matter. I think, you know? and I think it's Randy Alcorn that said, if if God didn't want us to be in these bodies, then he must have messed up in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's a, probably Randy. Probably <laughs> I think that's an Alcorn that, quote. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, and, and, if, and if you're listening and you want to, to find a good resource on this, actually, I'm leading uh, some of these— uh, students at our church um, through uh, from Eden to New Jerusalem by T. Desmond Alexander. He has a great chapter. Uh, his second chapter is on God's presence and how this idea of God was present with us in, in the Garden of Eden. And then when he created the tabernacle and the temple and Jesus coming uh, in the form of a man, we see how God wants to reconcile earth and heaven together. And there's this idea all throughout scripture where God is moving toward being present with us in that way. So that's, that's a really helpful resource if, if you need one. So, uh, Trevin, is that all you got? It's good for me. All right. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.